I want you to go ahead and look up a passage of Scripture that's going to set us up for today. Uh, if you have your Bibles or if you have your, your phones and you want to get to the Bible app, go ahead and look up for me, Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. What I want to do, though, is I want to start uh, what, we, what we normally have on, on this particular Sunday. Uh, the first Sunday of every month is we usually have a Four Greenwood um, update. And, and we talk a little bit about what we've done with Four Greenwood for the last month and, and what we're going to do moving forward. And um, obviously things are a little different and it's a little bit harder uh, to do certain things. It's a little bit harder for us to get together as a group and go out and serve our community in the way that we typically have. Um, it's a little bit harder for us to have those second Sunday serves and second Saturday serves where we go and do some different things. Uh, but we have been working as a church. And so I want to let you know of a few things that's, that's happened um, over these last weeks uh, one of the first things that, that we were able to do is, is partner with Greenwood District 50 straight away. Uh, they, they talked to us and, and they said, hey, here's one way that your church can help. And we've, we've done a lot with Dif District 50 over the, over the last few years and we've been able to serve them well. And, and so one of the things that we were able to do is deliver meals to, to kids and to families uh, that, that were not able to come pick them up or were not able to, to get them any other way, you know. Uh, we've talked about this before, but all of the schools in Greenwood, if you're, if you're not familiar, they're all Title I schools, and so all of the kids at all of the schools get free breakfast and free lunch. And since school isn't meeting, there's a real concern that there, there are some kids out there that maybe aren't getting breakfast and lunch, that aren't getting fed, that aren't getting the food that they need uh, to continue, you know, growing. And so uh, what we want to do is stand in that gap. And so we said, hey, we're going to go out and we're going to deliver meals all throughout our county. We're going to go uh, deliver meals to kids in need. And so what we were able to do last week, it's grown and grown week after week. And last week alone, we delivered 2,400 meals all across Greenwood County. And we we're able to make those connections with kids all over the place. And so we're so thankful. Amen. Yeah, we're so thankful to have that opportunity to do that. And if that's something that you'd like to participate in, we're still doing that for the rest of the month of May, and we're talking with them about potentially doing it through the summer. And so, um, so we're going to continue to partner with District 50 in that way and continue to serve our kids, our next generation, um, in that particular way. And so you can go to fourgreenwood.com and sign up there, and then somebody will get in touch with you and send you an email and let you know uh, how you could be involved. We do it on Mondays and Thursdays at 10 a.m. And so uh, we were able to do that. Another way that we were able to serve uh, one of our strategic partners is Greater Greenwood United Ministries. And all of last month, uh, we were able to feed some of the doctors and nurses and physicians assistants that come in and uh, that come in to, to work the free clinic in the evenings. And so we were able to, to kind of get together and provide some meals for them. And so we're really thankful to have that opportunity to serve them. They were super thankful. Uh, I don't have the email in front of me, but, but they were just overjoyed with how we were able to serve them. And so thank you for your generosity. Thank you for, uh, you, when, when you give, a portion of what you give goes into our Four Greenwood Fund, and that money is used to help serve our community. And so thank you for helping us serve Greater Greenwood United Ministries and, um, and serve them as they serve our community, coming alongside them in that way. Um, if you have any others, you know, it's really hard to find out what needs to be done. What we've tried to do across this entire uh, situation over the last like six or so weeks is we've been trying to find the real needs. What are the real needs of our community? Not just like, you know, not just felt, not, not just like these needs that we perceive and we think, oh, it would be great if we did this or this or this. We want to find the real felt needs and we want to try to meet those needs. And so if you know of anything, if you go to fourgreenwood.com, uh, there should be a place, just a, just a little scroll 
scroll down the page just a little bit, there's a place for you to submit uh, your suggestions for uh, what it, it's set up for second Sunday serve, but, but you can put anything in that. Uh, our second Sunday serve, we usually do on the second Sunday of every month. We go out and we serve our community for a few hours together as a church body. Um, so you can use that form to submit any other thing that you feel like needs to be done or an area that you feel like could be uh, of Greenwood that could be served. And so you can do that on our website uh, at forgreenwood.com. Another thing I want to talk about real quick before we dive into the message is uh, Grace Bomb. And, and we did a whole series about this. Uh, if you've been attending for a little while, uh, you might remember these awesome cards. We've got uh, some Grace Bomb cards. And we did a whole series on this in February. And it was incredible to be able to partner with this organization. Um, we got to, to meet the, the founder, Pat Linnell. He came down and he, he shared with us and he talked with us. And we did a whole teaching series on on grace bombs and how important they are and how crucial it is as, as a church. And really, you know, what Pat said is, is he, after looking at our website and then coming down and meeting us and, as a church and seeing what we're doing already in the community and how we're, how we're serving and connecting with our city, he said, he said, for a lot of churches, you know, for a lot of churches, this gets them in the game. But he says for us, what, what he hopes that he's doing is actually just pouring gasoline on an already burning hot fire. And so that's, that's really uh, what he's hoping to do. So we're, um, so we're, we're going to continue with this. We told you, we're not, we're, it wasn't just a four-week series. We're, we're continuing with Grace Bomb. We're going to continue pursuing uh, other people and, and, sh- and dropping Grace Bombs on them. Uh, look, these, they're acts of kindness that, that, that are followed up uh, with a Jesus message, that these aren't random acts of kindness. These are acts of love by people who love Jesus and want others to see Jesus. And so, um, and so I just want to share a few grace bombs that we have, uh, that we've heard of, and uh, I'm sure there's plenty, plenty more, but a few that came in on the website at gracebomb.org, a few that came in. I uh, went to McDonald's for my latte, and when, time, when it was time to pay, I was handed this card, these it's grace bomb card, and was told that it was paid for. Such a great way to spread love and kindness. I will be dropping the bomb soon on someone else. So just a very simple act uh, just made this person's day so much so that they went to the website and they told us about it and they said uh, that they were grace bombed. Another one was someone paid for my Chick-fil-A was totally shocked when I was upset about the price. God works in mysterious ways and restored my faith in some people. And so another person was blessed through the drive-thru uh, on this particular instance. Another one, this one, this one's not from here. Uh, this one came from another location, another place. But it says this, uh, bought groceries for a neighbor in her late 60s who was afraid to leave home due to COVID-19. And I made her dinner and took it to her. And the plus is I helped lead her to the Lord. She accepted Jesus as her personal savior. It was indeed a blessing, praise God. And so we see how these grace bombs, these, these acts of, of intentional kindness, these, these acts of Jesus' love, leads to people accepting Christ and leads to people coming to know him on a deeper level. And so we're so excited to continue partnering with them. I want to tell you about May 16th. May 16th is Grace Bomb Day. It's going to be our first ever uh, national, international Grace Bomb Day. And so here's what we're hoping. May 16th, that's 516, based on Matthew 516, that tells us to let our light shine uh, so that our good works can be seen before men and God can be glorified. And so we want to do that on May 16th. Uh, We're going to have these cards as you leave in a little while. Uh, We're going to have one of our parking attendants sort of over here uh, on my left, I guess your right. 
and they're going to be handing out these cards. If you want to take some with you, uh, then, then this would be an incredible way to go ahead and start planning and thinking about how you're going to grace bomb people. You don't have to wait till May 16th. You can grace bomb somebody today, uh, this afternoon. You can do it tomorrow. You can do it next week. But May 16th, we want to make sure that we grace bomb all over Greenwood and all the surrounding areas and that people know that they are loved, that they are seen, and that they are cared for uh, on that particular day. And we're so excited about the stories that are going to come in on May 16th for Grace Bomb Day. So make sure you grab some of these cards on your way out. And let's continue serving and loving our city. And let me also just say one more thing uh, about the Grace Bomb cards. Um, if you go to gracebomb.org, there is actually a whole list of ways that you can Grace Bomb people during this socially distant time. And so you may be thinking, well, I'd like to Grace Bomb somebody, but I'm not sure how to. And I'm not sure how, how to do it when we can't, like, be around them. When we can't, like, you know, be within six feet of each other and all that kind of stuff. There's a whole list of great ways to do it if you just go to gracebomb.org. Check that out there. And, um, and we're going to Grace Bomb our city in big, big ways. So. Hopefully you're already on Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2, and then 9 through 11. So let me go ahead and read these. Isaiah 40, 1 and 2, and then 9 through 11. Starting in verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. I love that so much. I know I just taught on this verse a few weeks ago, and this verse I love so tremendously, especially during this situation, during this pandemic, during this time. Comfort, comfort, double dose of comfort. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is, has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord, from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. Now let's switch to verse 9. That's 1 and 2. Let's switch to verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold, your God, behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those uh, that are with young. So nearly 3,000 years ago, give or take a few years, uh, nearly 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah gave to the nation of Judah a message of good news. First, Isaiah tells the people uh, that in about 100 years, Judah will be conquered by Babylon. In about 100 years or so, Judah's going to be conquered. Uh, but then he goes on and he tells them that about 1,000 years after that, there's going to be a savior. A Messiah. Somebody's going to come who is going to be born to save his people. And so Isaiah promised comfort after heartache. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And, and, but, but I want you to know that that wasn't, all, uh, uh, that wasn't all of Isaiah's message. That wasn't his entire message. He promised comfort, but then he gave a command. He tells them to shout the good news from the mountaintops and to proclaim it in the streets to take it to the, to the very highest points of society. He says everybody needs to hear this message. Everybody needs to know what's coming. And, I, and I, think, I think sometimes we think that we have to psych ourselves up before we share Jesus with people, before we, before we grace bomb people. It's, it's no wonder that, that in those situations that it feels artificial or forced because of the way we approach it and the way we, we go about it. But the truth is, is that we need to just get, we need to just get passionate about Jesus. Once we experience his love and his grace for ourselves, once we are truly aware that he is a friend of sinners, 
then I, I believe that we won't have to force anything. Would you pray with me? This morning, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, your prophet Isaiah, your man who came years and years and years before the coming of Christ. And he, he came and he declared your glory and your beauty. He said, there's going to be pain, there's going to be suffering, but there will be comfort. And God, I pray that right now that we understand that there will be comfort. That in the days to come, in the weeks to come, in the months to come, you will be our comforter, our strength, and our salvation. And so, God, I pray that you would just give me words, God. I pray that you would do what I can't do, that you would speak through me, that you would speak through your word, and that we would be able to learn here this morning what it means to be passionate about your son, Jesus, to be passionate about his message, his gospel, his truth, and that we can overcome some things in our lives so that we may share without fear, and without shame, and without apathy. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, we're in the middle of a series uh, called Friend of Sinners, and, and I love this title, this whole idea, you know, behind, behind the series, this Friend of Sinners. Why, why do I love it so much? Because Jesus cares more about a relationship than he does perfection. How, how many of you have ever messed up in your life? Yeah, I we got a couple of like hard honks, some timid honks. That's okay. We, we've all, listen, we all have messed up. We all will mess up. The, the, the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus cares so much more about knowing us and have a relationship with us than, than he does about us being perfect. He is such a friend of sinners, and I love that we've been able to explore a couple things so far. We explored, we explored uh, the very first week that Jesus proving that he's a friend of sinners in the first week when we saw him hanging out with Zacchaeus, the, the chief tax collector, the mobster, uh, the gangster of his day, right? He was hanging out with him. He went to dinner with him. And, and then last week, we talked a little bit about the rich young ruler and how he approached Jesus. And, and, and when he approached Jesus, he underestimated him, but, but he is a friend of sinners, and we should never underestimate Jesus. We talked about that last week. Now, this week, if you're taking notes, our talk is called Comfortably Uncomfortable. Comfortably Uncomfortable. You can write that down if you, if you have your notebooks or if you want to put it in your phone. Comfortably Uncomfortable is our title for today. I remember uh, when I met my wife, Jen, she was up here singing a moment ago. I remember when I met my wife, Jen, uh, it was the summer of 2008. We spent the whole summer working together at a Christian summer camp, and, um, and, and we weren't allowed to date at, at the camp. We weren't allowed to, to be a couple. There was a rule against staff members dating each other, which, which you may think sounds a little bit authoritarian, but, but I really think it's actually a, a pretty good rule. Uh, because, I, I mean, if you just kind of think about it for a second, you're stuck together for 10 weeks at this summer camp working alongside one another. You've got 1,000 teenagers, new teenagers coming in every single week that you're supposed to be shepherding and caring for and, and taking out into the mission field. And, and just imagine the fallout if you dated and it didn't go well, right? And so I think, I, you know, I think they probably had had their, their ducks in a row when they said no, no dating among staff members. So, so, so we just got to know each other. Like all summer long, we got to know each other, and, and we became really good friends. And I think that we kind of knew that something was there. Like we knew that there was a spark between us. And the, the day that camp ended, 
Uh, it was July 28th, 2008, the very day that camp ended, we decided to go on a date together. And so camp was over at like, I don't know, probably 10 o'clock that morning. We had wrapped everything up. We had packed everything up. We, we got in our cars, and then, and then we went off into the city, and we went on a date. And, and on that first date, I was comfortable. Like, I just want to say, I know some of you are scared on your first dates. Maybe you're thinking back to the first date with your significant other, with your boyfriend or girlfriend or your spouse or, or just any, anybody that you've been on a first date with. Maybe you were, maybe you were nervous. Maybe, you, you know, your, your palms were sweaty. Maybe you were a little uneasy and you just didn't know what to, like, do with your hands. And, and maybe that was you. But, but on this first date, I was comfortable. Like, I was, I was really, I had it all planned out. Special place downtown for lunch. Uh, we went and we made pottery together. We made, I think I still have the cup that I made, actually. I, I made a cup, and I don't, I don't remember. I think she made a cup or she made something. But, uh, but all these years later, still, I think I still have it somewhere. And, and we made pottery. We went for a walk in the park. It was great. We did all these different things. And, and, and I was feeling comfortable because we had spent all summer getting to know each other. Like, we had spent hours and hours together already. And so I was comfortable in this date because I wanted to be with her. But I was also uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable because she went to school 10 hours away from me. Right? We were together for the summer, but, but then she, she was going to leave that day and be 10 hours away from me. And I was, I was uncomfortable with that because I didn't know what long-distance dating doesn't work, right? Like I knew that in the back of my head. And, and, and so I was uncomfortable because I didn't know how she was feeling about the whole thing. Like was it just a summer crush? Or does she think that there's something there worth exploring and worth trying out even though it's long distance? I was comfortable to be with her, but I was uncomfortable because I didn't know what would happen at the end of the date. And, and that... <laughs> that comfortable uncomfortableness kind of proceeded on and continued as we moved further into our dating relationship until one evening at a friend's house in Nashville, uh, I, I told her, kind of mustered up the courage to tell her in that moment, I think I love you. That was, an uncomfortable, that was a comfortably uncomfortable phrase. That was a very weird thing for me to say, to which she, respond, she responded, you think? Um, comfortably uncomfortable. We've all been, doesn't have to be in a dating context. We've all been in a position where we've been comfortably uncomfortable. And so I want to talk about this idea today. And I think the first thing that, that I think is important for us believers is this, and this is if you're taking notes and if you, if you need some points, sometimes I don't do points in the message, but, but I've kind of got three, three ideas, and so we'll call them points. Uh, we must overcome comfortable. We must overcome comfortable as believers. Pastor, what do you mean by that? Okay, well, there's a big difference in being comforted by God and being comfortable. Like, our lives will always be comfortable once we have been comforted by God, but then he asks us to get uncomfortable for him once we hear the good news of Jesus. Because God uh, then wants us to give the good news away. It's not just ours to keep. It's something that we have to give away. Once he fills us up with what only he can give, he wants us to immediately go and empty ourselves of what he just filled us with. If it's salvation, then he wants us to unload that gift of salvation on some other people. If, if, if it's hope, then he, then he wants us to unload that gift of hope on somebody. If it's faith, the gift of faith. Mercy, the gift of mercy. Whatever God downloads into us, he wants us to unload in a good way on those who need what we have. 
I, I love the story of the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. And I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm just going to kind of give you sort of the cliff notes here. Um, there was a Samaritan woman. Uh, she was standing at Jacob's well, bringing water up, probably for you know friends or family members. And 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 Jesus, a, a Jew, approaches her. Now now make no mistake about it. The Jews detested the Samaritans. A Samaritan was uh, essentially uh, a Jewish person who married a Gentile, and they had offspring, and those offspring were called Samaritans. And and so. And so to say that the Jews didn't like them would be an understatement. Uh, in fact, they, they put Samaritans in the same category as Gentiles, and, and they considered them all to essentially be impure and unclean and unholy and ungodly. And so Jesus astoundingly, honestly, astoundingly walks up to the Samaritan woman, and, and he asks for a drink. And in my mind, it doesn't say this in Scripture, in my mind, she probably almost fell into the well in shock. Uh, because because this this makes no sense. This is wild. This is this is just crazy to think about. And and so uh, she's in shock from this Jew coming up to her asking her for a drink. And 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 so then then it kind of proceeds. And not only are they talking and having conversation, but but he's asking for help, which is pretty wild. Uh, that that meant a great deal. It showed real connection, real vulnerability, for him to ask for help from a Samaritan. And, and by the way, just a little side note, this is the, uh, I think I've mentioned this before as we've talked about this verse over the years, and this, this, this passage, this is the longest conversation. This conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus had with anybody in all of Scripture. I'm sure he had longer conversations. I'm sure he talked with his disciples at length and at depth at times, but this is the longest recorded conversation of Jesus and somebody else in all of Scripture and all the New Testament. And so uh, Jesus, during the conversation, says to her, hey, hey, why don't you bring your husband over here? Why don't you go ahead and get your husband and bring him over? And she goes, oh, Jesus, I'm not married. And he says, you got that right, sister. Again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Um, you're not married, and, and in fact, you've been married five times, and the guy that you're shacking up with right now, you've never been married to. And so Jesus just outs her right there at the well. Right there at Jacob's well, he kind of just lays all the cards on the table for her. And, and, and you know, what I, what I really find amazing about this story, and, and I've talked about this story, and I've come at it from so many different angles, and, and, and I've, I've read into to why Jesus had to be there, and so the divine appointment that was set up, and why he had to go through Samaria, and Jesus doesn't have to do anything. And, and then, the, then the actual conversation, I've kind of broken down that conversation and, and kind of walked through it. And, but, but here's really, this is one of the things that I find truly amazing about this story, and, and maybe, maybe some of you haven't considered this. How is this woman still alive? Like, how is she actually still living? How does this story even come to our attention? You see, the law in that day, the law stated that, that if a, a woman was unfaithful sexually and morally to her husband, her husband could divorce her for being unfaithful, and with the divorcement, she would be stoned to death. All right, she would be executed for her unfaithfulness. The, the other way that a man could divorce his wife in that day was if she was barren. So in other words, if, if she could not have children. So if a woman's unfaithful, the husband can divorce her and then have her killed, right? And, and, if, and if she's, otherwise, if she's, if she's barren, then, then he can just divorce her and kind of do away with her. Now think about this with me. The woman's been married for five times. She's been married five times and divorced, She's got another guy living with her. How does this happen? How is she still alive? 
well, it's obvious, at least to me, that she wasn't unfaithful to anybody because if she'd been unfaithful, then she'd be dead, right? We follow my logic train on this. So it stands to reason that she was barren. She couldn't have kids. Now, how is it, Pastor, that, that five guys marry her, and how is it that she's got another guy living with her, but she can't have kids, which was so very important at this time to, to produce an heir, to produce uh, a, a firstborn, and somebody to take your inheritance and take your family name. That was so crucial and important, and here's what it is, church. I think there's only one answer that makes sense to me. She's hot, like, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I, she, she's got to be the best-looking Samaritan woman that God ever created because these guys are getting in line to come in, like, and, and be with her. They get it, they're lining up, and, and they go, you know what? It wasn't your fault that you can't have kids. And so they, get, they go ahead, and, and they marry her, and then, and then they, they use her, and then they kind of throw her to the curb. And this last guy doesn't even marry her. He's, he's not even going to go that far. just living with her. And so here's a woman, church, who's likely been abused by men, used and thrown to the curb. And I would be willing to bet that there's some people here today or, or maybe listening online that know what it means to be used and abused and thrown to the curb. But Jesus sees her. Jesus meets with her. Jesus talks with her, and he loves her. And so here comes this new man, this, this new man, this, this otherworldly man, a God man who walks up to her, and he doesn't want anything from her. He doesn't want her for her looks. He doesn't want her for her body. He walks up to her. He doesn't have a personal agenda, no selfish inclinations. Here is a man that decides in his heart that he wants to redeem her life. He wants to give her life and life more abundantly, Scripture says. And he tells her, hey, I can give you what no one else can give you. And church, let me tell you something. When he filled her up with what she couldn't get on her own, immediately she went and she emptied herself of everything Jesus had given her. John 4.39 says this, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me everything I ever did. What a savior. What a woman of God who gets filled up with Jesus and then goes and gives what Jesus gave her to those that need the good news. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that must have been for her? Listen, people talk. It was probably a small town. They probably knew all of her business. They knew everything that was going on. They knew her life story, but she went anyway. It would have been easier and more comfortable for her to be silent to go back home to her boyfriend and act like the encounter never happened. But she didn't. Because church, we have to overcome comfortable. Secondly, I believe that God is calling us, if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, to overcome shame. We're to overcome comfortable and secondly, to, to be passionate for Jesus, to share Jesus, to, to take and give this, this friend of sinners to other people, we need to overcome shame. <clears throat> Have you ever noticed that we tend to, as a, as a people, as a society, uh, to talk more about the things that we're passionate about? That seems logical, yes, of course I've considered that. It's human nature to share things that excite us, right? 
Like, we especially love to share good news. We love to share good news, whether it's a new house, right? We love it. We get the picture out in the front yard. We've got the sold sign. We've got the house behind us, the whole family. We love to share that good news. We love to share the news about a baby, we really love that. We come up with all these creative ways to share that, how we've gotten, you know, oh, we're pregnant, and we've got, like, you know, a little bit number four, and we've got, like, the little thing, and we've got the, we do the, we do the whole thing on social media, and then we do a gender reveal. We want to share the gender, because we're also really excited about that, and so we do this whole thing with that. Like, we, we, we love to share, we love to share good news. We love to share if we get a promotion, or if we get that dream job, we land that job, we want to share it with other people. This, this is just our nature. That's this. That's who we are. We, want, we love to share good news, and we also love to share things that we're passionate about. If you're into sports, you'll go on for 30 minutes about your team and, and about the, the mistakes that your general manager made for the last four years. Right? You'll, you'll, go in, you'll, you'll start talking about all these different things because you're passionate about it. You love it. If, if you have kids, you'll talk to total strangers about what grades they're making in school and what clubs they're in. Right, we do that. Can, can I dance on a few toes this morning? Can I actually just get right on them for, for a second and ask how is it that we can talk about our own sons and daughters to people that, that couldn't give a rip, to, if, if we're being honest, but we're ashamed to talk about God's son who changed the, life, the lives of millions and billions of people? We've got to lose the shame, church. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 about the friend of sinners. He says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the Bible says, I'm telling, I'm telling you, church, God has called us to lay shame and fear aside and follow hard after Jesus Christ. I hate to see this, but some Christian people are afraid of their Christianity. They, they might not know it, they might not realize it, but, but that's really what it is. They're ashamed of it because they don't know if they can be a vocal Christian and also be normal. You don't want to be that Christian. And listen, listen to me, church, I get it. I've been in ministry for 12 plus years, and I have met that Christian. I have had conversations with that Christian. I've spent time with that Christian. I know what you mean, and I know what you're about, but, but, but trust me, I, I want you, to, I want you to, to know that I, I, I understand where you're coming from. Unfortunately, though, Christians seem to think that they can only either be normal people or radical believers, not both. Can I encourage you with this this morning, church? Just look at Jesus. He was normal enough that children like to hang out with him. They like to spend time with him, jump up in his lap. Sinners invited him to dinner. Zacchaeus had him over to his house. He was normal enough for that stuff, yet he was radical enough to change the course of history. Jesus was radically normal. And when it comes to following Jesus, radical needs to be the new normal, and normal needs to be the new radical. We need to pursue him with everything. We need to be passionate about him. Jesus says this in Luke uh, 9, 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, 
of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Here's what he's saying. If you're ashamed of me on this earth, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. And listen, I, I, don't, I, don't, know, I, I don't know about you, church, and I'm going to tell you something. I do not want the King of Kings being ashamed of me. I want Jesus to be proud of me because I have been proud of him this side of heaven. Is anybody with me on that? Church, we've got to overcome shame. We've got to overcome shame. Sometimes, it's kind of thinking about this, sometimes the shame is because of something negative in our, in our, in our past or maybe even in our present. God might, might fill us up with grace, but somehow, for some reason, that, that isn't always enough for us. And, and I came to encourage somebody today. God forgives us. And he takes what the enemy meant for evil, and he uses it for good. Like our weaknesses plus Jesus' grace are the perfect platform to show people what God can do in their lives as well. We have to use that. Come on, somebody. This is, this is who we are. This is who we've been created to be. This is who we've cre been created to serve. And listen, I want to add just like a little, uh, if I can add like a micro point to this point as well. Uh, I didn't want to, I, I mean, I guess it's like a whole new point, maybe, I don't know. But, but in, in conjunction with overcoming shame, let me also add this bonus point to it. We have to overcome fear. We also have to overcome fear. <clears throat> maybe your problem isn't shame specifically. It, it, it might just be fear, just flat out afraid. Sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes we don't get uncomfortable for God because we're afraid. And hey, listen, I... I, I get it. I know that leaving our comfort zone and stepping into the unknown isn't easy. It's, it's scary sometimes. But fear of the unknown hasn't gotten anyone anywhere. We have to step past the limits of our comfort zone. We have to step past the limits that our fear puts on us. And I know that this is where some of us are when it comes to talking about Jesus with friends and family and and coworkers, we, we struggle with this, and, and, and we have all these questions and all these concerns and all these issues. What if I just, like, say the wrong thing, we think? Well, Jesus promises to give us the words in those moments in Matthew 10. What if I don't know the answer to their questions, we ask? You, you can't know the answer to all questions, if that's the criteria to talking to people about Jesus, well, then I should hand in my ordination and drop this microphone right now because I don't have all the answers. But you know what? I know where to get them. I know who has them. You could go on and on with the what ifs. You go on and on and you can list them all out because you probably have one in your head that I haven't mentioned yet. What if they reject me? What if they hate me? What if I botch it and they turn away from Christ forever? Well, people rejected Jesus and, and they will reject us. That's just part of, the, part of the deal. As believers, we have to be prepared to be hated, even by our brother, our sister, our mother, our father, Scripture tells us. And you know what? We don't have to carry the weight of someone turning from Christ because of our conversation, because it is God who draws and God who saves, and we are only the hands and feet that he chooses to use. I can come back on every one of the what ifs. And sometimes it's just fear driving those what ifs. We're afraid. So maybe to overcome fear, maybe you need to start small. 
right? Like every small step we take is, is, a, is a tiny little expansion of our comfort zone. Every small step forward we take expands our, our comfort zones, and, and we can take solace in the knowledge that it's about the message, not the messenger. It's about the truth, not the truth bringer. And, and that should take some of the weight and the fear off of us and give us some courage. I love this quote by one of my uh, favorite U.S. presidents, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He says this, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. Church, the only way to deal with fear is to face it. And guess what? God gives us the grace to walk through it. And the gospel is that important. When we get passionate about Jesus, church, when we recognize Jesus is a friend of sinners, when we remember how he has radically changed our lives, fears dissipate and shame dissolves. So God is calling us to overcome comfortable. He's calling us to overcome shame and overcome fear. And here's the last thing, if you want to write this down. We must also overcome apathy. Apathy. Apathy, maybe, let me just give you a, uh, a little definition of that word. An example of that word. Apathy is a thing when you, just, when you just basically don't care. I know that's a gross simplification of it, but it's basically just don't care. I don't really care if you're hurting. I don't really care if you're in despair. I don't really care if you're hungry. I don't care if you're out of money. I don't care if they're putting you out on the street. It just doesn't affect my day-to-day -day life. And so honestly, I just don't care. And if we're not careful, there are a growing number of Christians that are so concerned with political correctness and not forcing our faith on someone else, that we decide, I'm just not going to care about others and their eternal security. And listen, you can politicize that all you want, but I believe it's true. We care about everything else. We have an opinion about, about everything else going on in the world. Most of us are, are, are convinced that we're better suited for politics than any of the elected officials of the party that we don't like. We take sides in trials, and, 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 and we watch these trials, and we assume guilt without ever having her testimony or, or handled any evidence ourselves. And, and right now, we are all experts on the coronavirus, which has no experts, by the way. Uh, the, even the people that are considered experts are learning in real time just like the rest of us. We care about all of this stuff, and we stand on our social media soapboxes, and we let our opinions fly. But when it comes to matters of faith, so many of us are apathetic. We're quick to talk about everything, but we're slow to act on anything. And, and let me tell you something, church, who Jesus is. He's the one who came onto this planet, and after he turned water into wine, he walks into the synagogue in Jerusalem one morning. And in and, and, and Luke chapter 4, it tells us that he, he opens up the scroll to the book of Isaiah, and he begins to read the prophecy that's about him. And, and you can see in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he says this. He reads this out loud. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I submit to you this morning, church, that we serve an action savior. 
We serve a God who's not sitting on his hands doing nothing. We serve a Savior who is full of action, who, who would walk past the widow of Nain as she was on the way to, to the burial spot of her, of her 17-year-old son, and he couldn't just let her walk by with no hope of the future. He had to stop and raise that boy from the dead, an action Savior. He heard two men scream out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on our blind eyes. And he couldn't keep on walking. He had to stop and open their blinded eyes so they could see once again. I'm telling you, church, Jesus is an action savior. And he has called you and me to be action men and women of God, not to sit on our hands and and not care when people are hurting, but to rise up and say, I can't do everything, but I can do something. And I'm going to give glory to God in the process. I'm confident that we've all been guilty of watching from a distance and not doing anything. Maybe we couldn't. Maybe we didn't want to. Maybe we didn't really care enough to warrant action. Or maybe we didn't do anything in the moment and and then from a safe distance, hours, days, weeks later, we post about it on social media. I don't want us to be a generation that is known for bringing awareness, but no solutions. And, and I think that we are in a real danger of becoming this generation that Instagrams about issues and, and tweets about travesties, but does nothing personally to change them. What, what is our relationship with the world? Are we reporters or are we rescuers? Are we activists or are we slacktivists? Do we care or don't we? And church, the truth is, is once God touches us, all of the apathy has to go. We have to lose apathy, and caring has to become part of our character. We can't do everything, but we can do something. So instead of cursing the darkness, I'll light my little candle, and I'll see what I can do with that. And then I'll see what else I can do as Jesus gives me the opportunity. I'll just keep lighting candles. I'll keep doing what he calls me to do. I I know this to be true. Without a passion for Jesus, we won't be motivated to share him with others. Without a passion for Jesus, apathy is right around the corner. And, And you might be wondering, how do I become passionate for Jesus? Passion is simply a product of knowledge and experience. The more you know Jesus, the more you've experienced Jesus and what he can do for you and what he can do for others, the more motivated you will be to make yourself uncomfortable so that others can be comforted. The more passionate about him you will become. I am so thankful that our God is not apathetic. He's a friend of sinners. God isn't passively observing the plight of humanity. He is actively involved. He sent his son to die for us. He gives us aid. He hears our prayers. And and in the book of Isaiah, like, like the Bible as a whole, it tells the story of God's law and judgment. But then the focus turns to comfort and salvation found in the coming Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, the promised comforter who God has sent for our salvation. God's love and concern for humanity are more than evident all around us. 
Church, will you consider making yourself uncomfortable to bring comfort to others? You have the answers. You have the hope. You have the healing. It's time to share it with the world, pandemic or not.